0: Good morning, Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad that you were here to worship with us today. I want to welcome you. If you're anywhere here at the Mount Pleasant campus or one of our offsite campuses or online, wherever you may be, we are excited that you are here. Really excited to kick off the Christmas season with you. Introduce. That's right. We got somebody excited. The Mount Pleasant campus pastor is fired up about Christmas. You can deliver his presence to 750 Long... I'm just kidding. (laughs) We are uh, just excited, man. We've decorated the house, as I'm sure many of you have, and just uh, something to celebrate. (laughs) Excited for the hope and joy and peace. Of Christmas. I want to welcome you. If it is your first time here, we're especially glad that you're here. And what might feel big or overwhelming, we're hoping very soon feels like home to you. In fact, I want to give you a four-week challenge. If it's your first time, we're spending the next few weeks looking at significant aspects of the Christmas story. And I want to challenge you, don't dare miss a week. We've got some special things in store for you. Well, hey, before we start today, I've got two housekeeping items I'd like to talk with you about. The first of which is in regards to my role for the last eight years here at Mount Pleasant, I've gotten to serve as the Mount Pleasant campus pastor. And this summer, we had some staffing transition that caused us to kind of look at our org chart, best position ourselves for the future. And one of the places we had some gaps was in regards to our weekend experience, what we do here in this room at Mount Pleasant and how it's broadcasted online and to all of our campuses. And so about that time, God brought about Pastor Joel Delf to serve as our new Mount Pleasant campus pastor to free me up to focus. That's right. We celebrate <laughs> Pastor Joel and honor him. To focus in on our, our weekend experience. and here's why that is significant. One of my life verses is like Act 17:26, which says that God ordains set times and exact places for us to live. That means of any of the times in history, of any place in the world, God chose this place and this time for you and I. And it's significant for two reasons. The first of which is because we get to call Seacoast home. We get to be the family of God here in person and online. Had this been 40 years ago, Seacoast would not even here yet. Right. But here and now it is. And God has established us as a family. The second reason is significant is because we all experienced 2020 together. Right. Of all the time in history, maybe faster than we wanted to, one of the things COVID did was fast track both our willingness and knowledge of how to experience life online. How many of you, out of curiosity, are still doing some aspect of your job online? Man, all over the place. Folks that weren't even too confident in the Internet are now doing much of their life on it still. And on any given weekend here at Seacoast, we have roughly 10,000 people that join us online from every state in the US and over 150 countries around the world. And for any one of those people who join us, they do it for a number of different reasons. For some of them, it's because they're in a context where there is not a life giving church near them. Think about my friend Colin, for example. He lives in Iowa and attends online every week and saw that we were going to be having Baptism in a couple of weeks. He sent an email and said, hey, if I fly in, can I get baptized with the church? I was like, are you kidding me? Isn't that incredible? Joining us from Iowa. But he is super plugged in here every week, taking steps in his faith, growing, finding community. It reminds me of my friend. Matt. That's something we could celebrate. I'm guessing the delayed clap there was a late picture. I was like, well, hey, yeah, let's keep on clapping. This is awesome. I was excited to be here. Think about my friend Kelly Hall from Syracuse. New York, her mom passed away several months ago, and she Googled how to handle my grief and came up, came across my grief message from several years ago when my dad passed. And at the end of that message I said, man, we would love to walk with you in your pain. You can text the word grief to 320 320. She did that, signed up for a digital grief share group that started during COVID when all of our groups went online. And two weeks ago, I got to join in online with Kelly, her sister, and her dad, and about 20 other people, some of which attend Seacoast in person and others from around the country to share my journey of grief, hear their story. Man, we're looking in God's word together and crying over kind of the road that we've walked through. It's like, what a privilege, right? That God would entrust us as a church to have had the technology in place to step towards people in their pain, not just in a local context, but all over the world. Can we praise God that he would use us in that way? It really is incredible. During COVID, so many churches weren't prepared to do that. So we opened up our facility for pastors to just come in and record messages that they could send out to their congregation. Us being a church online has long been who we've been, but moving into this next season, man, what if it wasn't just a broadcast of what was happening here in this room? What if you were able to actually see people's faces and experience church and take steps in your faith together, that your in-person experience and your online experience could be hand in hand, that it would be an extension of your pursuit of Christ and growing in your faith? So here's where you can help. If you get out your phone's for me, One of the unique things to Colin's story is that he used to attend here at the Mount Pleasant campus, but then he moved to Iowa where he couldn't find a church. And so he stayed with us online. Well, in our database, it says that Colin is a Mount Pleasant attender who's not involved when in reality he's an online attender who's very involved, brother just flew in from Iowa to get baptized. He doesn't miss a weekend, but we wouldn't have had a way of knowing that. And our vision is to create experiences, content, and community that is unique for you online, wherever you may be. And so if you'll text the word survey to 320-320, it'll reply, send you a link. You click on that link, and it's a two-question survey that will help us identify that in our database and best serve those 10,000 people all around the world. So at any campus you might be at, online, pull out your phone at some point right now or during the message, text survey to 320-320. The second house key item I wanted to talk with you about is in regards to legacy. Two weeks ago... Pastor Greg shared some vision for 2022, what we believe God is calling us to. We each got a string tied into a keychain or a purse to be praying into. Okay, God, how might you be calling us to give? What might you be calling us to give? And today, just want to celebrate that here with the whole month of December before us still to, uh, to give, we've got $675,000 that has been given to find vision for next year. Isn't that amazing? So generous and just exciting. If you want some more information on that, you can go to seacoast.org forward slash legacy. Well, let me pray for us, and we will jump into the message. God, we thank you so much for this weekend. I'm, I'm thankful for all that you're doing online and how you've positioned us as a church to step into people's pain, to walk with them, help them grow in their faith, not just in a local context, but all around the world. Thankful that we're a church that is so wildly generous to give towards and provide for folks that we may never meet or know to help advance your kingdom. So, God, we just pray that today that, that you would meet us right where we are, that you would prepare our hearts and minds to encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the nativity scene. Nativity. I always say nativity. Everybody say nay. Nay. That ain't how you do it. Nativity. 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 Joel's shaking his head at me. I know, brother, it's hard. Nativity scene. Nativity. All right. Nativity scene from my living room. And uh, it's special because Katie and I have had it for 20 years. Uh, We got married December 21st, our senior year of college. We were those students that were broke, broke. You know what I'm saying? And we thought, man, if we get married at Christmas then the church will already be decorated like a thousand poinsettias everywhere. It'll feel like they decorated for us. We didn't realize at that time. We'll never get to travel on our anniversary. All our family going to have to come the week of Christmas and be mad at us. You know, like it was a situation. But that year, man, we had the most decked out Christmas tree because the easy out for anybody that was coming is like, hey, let's get them a Christmas tree ornament. Right. And so we got a million like your first Christmas Ornaments still all over the tree. Well, one of the items of many that we got was a nativity scene. And this one right here is my favorite, uh, probably just because of history. You know, when we've been in, in highs and lows in seasons that I loved and in seasons that were hard, when we've lived in places that I've loved or places that I've hated, like there's come a point where Christmas comes around and we pull out the decorations and we set up the nativity. In fact, there's been some years where I was like, we'd go to pack up Christmas and I was like, babe, we're going to leave this thing out like all year. You know, the hope and joy in life that Christmas, the hope that it brings about, like there's been seasons where I wouldn't feeling it come January, February, March. It was like, we got to pull out the nativity. I need a reminder. <laughs> like, it's still available right now. Well, from a distance, what's unique to this is that it looks great. Like it's, it's a cool nativity. But as you take a closer look, you realize like, man, things are not as they appear. Uh, for example, my man Joseph here, he had a staff at one point, and, and it's long gone. I don't know what happened, what happened to the staff. It's one of the casualties of having seven children. At some point, anything that resembles an action figure is going to be used as an action figure, right? I got a, I got a wise man here who brought a gift for Jesus that he was apparently holding on to a little too tight. Because the gift and his hands are now <laughs> missing, <laughs> you will lay your gift at the altar, or else," he <laughs> said. That's an unfortunate situation here. We've got a, a sheep here, who a cute little sheep until you turn him around and see that he's got two legs broke off at the knee. Right? He's had a bad life. <laughs> it's, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. It really is. I just lean him up here against sheep. Girl, you can't really tell from a distance. Right. It looks good. I got a I got a donkey here who's got a leg broke. He ain't carrying nobody. Helpful for nothing anymore. A lot of laying, laying around. See there. He's just resting. It's all good. (laughs) Rigor mortis like. See, from a distance, it looks fine. Right. But as you get up close to really look at it, you say, man, that thing's all broken up. And it makes me wonder like stepping into the Christmas season, how many of us, our lives, like, man, from a distance, things look good. But the closer you get, you realize, like, man, there are some places of brokenness within me, places where we long for the hope and the joy and the peace of Christmas. But if I'm honest with myself, man, at times those emotions can be hard to come by, they can be hard to find. And as with my nativity, the, the focal point, the centerpiece is missing the manger. It's like, bro, boys, where's the manger? I guarantee you there's a Marvel character taking a nap in it somewhere upstairs <laughs> in one of the boys rooms. Well, for the next couple of weeks, we're kicking off a series where we're going to be taking a closer look at the Christmas story. Some of these focal points that are loaded with symbolism, with imagery, that maybe it's easy for us at times to just look over or skip over and miss entirely. And today we're going to be taking a closer look at the manger, which begs the question initially of what in the world is a manger? It's not a question that we we ask very often because it's not a word that we use. Right, Unless you are putting out decorations, send, sending a Christmas card, singing a Christmas carol, right? you don't use the word manger. So, so what is it? Uh, in Latin, the word literally means trough. It's a place where you would come and feed animals. And in Scripture, it's used three times, specifically in Luke chapter two. And the, the number three is significant. The fact that the repetition is back to back to back says to us, like, hey, lean in here. Pay attention. Don't miss the significance of this detail. First of which is in Luke chapter two, verse seven. It says this. She gave birth, talking about Mary, to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn." And Luke 12, two. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And again in Luke two sixteen. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, it's easy to hear the reference here and think that it's just a part of the narrative, right? The use of manger, that it's just an unfortunate bed for a baby. But the reality is it would prove to be a megaphone for the ministry of Jesus. It was not random. It wasn't just the only place available. In fact, the first time that Bethlehem, that the birth of Jesus is foretold is found in Micah 5.2. It says this, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from the ancient of days. Most scholars believe this was prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus, which means that God had seven centuries to book an Airbnb, to put it on the heart of the innkeeper, to add a room on the end. Let's renovate. Let's put a second floor on this bad boy, right? To change the travel plans of one of the other couples that were taking up a room so that King Jesus could have a place to stay, right? Plenty of time to come up with a plan B, but he did it. And the reason that he didn't is because the manger was God's plan. Is it possible that though mentioned three times, that though our King and Savior would be born and to be found laying in a manger that we've overlooked some of the significance of the manger? What might God be wanting to speak to us this Christmas that we could find there at the manger? A couple thoughts for us as to what we can find when we take a closer look at it. The first of which is this. At the manger, I can find satisfaction for my hunger. Satisfaction for my hunger. Now, I want you to imagine this with me. It's 1140 on a Monday. You had a busy morning. You've been active, focused at work. And all of a sudden, by 1140, 1130, your stomach growls. It sends a signal to your brain like, bro, we need some fuel. Like I'm running on empty. Stomach's talking to me. So you start having a food fantasy of like where I'm going to go. What am I get to eat? What's close? What am I feeling like? So the question is, what is it? What is that place for you? My answer changes a little bit seasonally. Right now, my answer is Johnny Dogs over on Coleman. Mustard, ketchup, chili, onion, feta. It's an all beef dog. If I'm feeling really healthy, I'll get a turkey dog. I'll text Katie about it. Your boy's being healthy today. You know, whatever. But it hits the spot. What about 530 on a Friday? About to go out on date night. Y'all don't have a reservation. Your stomach growls, sends a signal to your brain like, hey, we need some fuel, bro. I'm getting hungry. Where do you go? For Katie and I, we're creatures of habit. It's going to be one of three places. I'll either get the basil chicken at Basil, a Park Circle burger at Sesame, or the the salmon lemon roll at Oku every single time. All three of those Mm, hit the spot, Right. We all experience hunger, and our bodies are designed to send a trigger to our brain to say, hey, you're getting low on fuel. You need some fuel. And what's unique to that is that it's a habit that happens every single day over and over and over, meal after meal. The point is this. The hunger within us for food is only one that can be satisfied momentarily. I can't satisfy tomorrow's hunger today. Right, because it's not here yet, regardless of how much I consume. Well, most of the nativities have a manger that looks something like this. And in biblical times, it would have looked more like a stone or a chunk of wood that had been honed out for food or water or something of that nature to go in. That said, there was one place for animals to go to get their full one place that they could go to have their hunger satisfied. Well, that is not the case in our culture. Anytime we have those hunger pains, anytime we start thinking about food, what I want, where I'll get it, there are infinite options for us to go and be satisfied. You could get a little snack out of a vending machine. You could get your food to go. You could go and sit in a restaurant. You could have it delivered to the office. You could pack it and bring it from the house on and on and on so many options and places where we can get our full. Well, in case we missed the imagery of the trough and the significance of there only being one place that we can truly be satisfied, God laid the same imagery over the town of Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem literally means house of bread. So get this vision. God called for a couple who was traveling not from Bethlehem, to spend the night in the house of bread, where they would have their firstborn son, upon which they would lay him in the trough that was used for feeding God's creation. Have you seen any of those memes that say, like, tell me you're something without telling me you're something? You know, what I'm talking about three of you. Okay, <laughs> well, I, I made you I made you one just so I could drive home the, uh, the point here. Tell me you're a Gamecock fan without telling me. You're a Gamecock fan. These guys show up passionate, all in. We're painting our chest, bro. You know, they're fired up, but they also have the look of epic disappointment and confusion, (laughs) especially the O, right? Look at them like, (laughs) ah, story of my life, right? Well, what Jesus was saying here, the meme would be, tell me that you can satisfy my hunger without telling me you can satisfy my hunger. Being born in the house of bread, being laid in the trough. He would go on to make it very clear later in John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am. Everybody say, I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. Now, do you think he was saying that whoever comes to me is never going to long for a Johnny's dog again? It's like, Lord, I hope not. (laughs) You know, Of course, of course, not our our physical needs mirror a spiritual reality for us and all of us hunger for things deep within that no meal could touch. We hunger to be known, to be loved, to be befriended, to be precious, to be pursued, to be cared for. Right. And just like we'll do with the meal to meet a physical need of ours, oftentimes we'll identify people or behaviors or seek after possessions and hopes that they would meet or satisfy a deeper spiritual need within us. We'll go to work and give ourselves to hustle and accomplishment in hopes that it would meet a need within us. We'll hang out with friends and hope that their company and encouragement would satisfy a need within us. Man, we'll hustle and hustle for all kinds of stuff in order that acquiring it would meet some kind of need within us. But the message of the manger is that there is one place that we can go. One person who can truly satisfy the hunger within us. And his name is Jesus. So the question for us to answer today is, what am I hungry for? What am I hungry for? And I'm not just talking about lunch today. Like, what are we going to go eat? I mean, what are the, the deep soul, hangry longings within you? That you know, like man, the closer you might get to them, if you're giving yourself to other things, you realize, like man, this this isn't going to satisfy. Or maybe you you got hold of something only to realize, man, that was empty. You thought it was going to be this guy or this girl, and you realize that 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 didn't do it. Is there anything within you that you're longing for, that you're hungering for, that today you would turn to the manger, and say, Jesus, I acknowledge that you are the only way. You know, one of the ways of acknowledging our deep emptiness is contrasting it with moments that we are full. I think about me at Thanksgiving. I, I ate so much turkey and stuffing, right? But there came a point at the end of the meal where I held my stomach. I said, man, I'm full, right? <laughs> I know was good. And I knew the feeling because I knew what it was like to be empty. And in order for you to taste the fullness that does not go away, the satisfaction that Jesus offers. It begins by just acknowledging the emptiness of your pursuits. Romans ten nine says it this way. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be satisfied. You can come to the manger. You can come to Jesus and allow him to meet that deep need that nothing else could touch. So number one, at the manger, I find satisfaction for my hunger. Number two, at the manger, I can find perspective for my pursuits. I can find perspective for my pursuits. For anyone in the house who's recently had a baby, when you bring the baby into your home and it's time for them to go to bed, help me out here. You put them in a... In a crib, that's right. You Put them in a crib, a bassinet, a docketot, something that's going to be comfortable for them. Cribs are largely a Western invention, as is the thought of putting the baby in a whole another room by itself. In Jesus' time, the baby would have been in one room with the mom and dad and all the other kids on a, a big bed that was more like a mat of sorts. Do you know how long ago it was that birthing moms put their newborn baby in a trough when that was common practice? Anybody? Never, like, they didn't do that, right? The manger was the sign. Every baby from Bethlehem to Brooklyn, from Jesus time to our time was wrapped in swaddling cloth. Pastor Josh is going to talk about that more during the Christmas Eve services. But what is unique to this story is that King Jesus, baby Jesus was laid in a manger and that it was in a home that was not his own. If anyone was deserving of a bougie baby shower, of a King Jesus headboard, of a freshly bedazzled onesie, a blanket of many colors, right? It was Jesus. But instead of any of that, he would be born in a barn among the animals, dimly lit. None of our modern day nativities come with little poo emojis to set up around the characters, right? But I guarantee you it was there. There's no scratch and sniff donkey for you to experience the smell Mary would have had to endure as she gave birth to Jesus, right? It was the most lowly and humble of settings. But the interesting thing about the, deliver, uh, the delivery and the burial of our Savior is that both of them happened on a borrowed bed. It's as if Jesus was saying without saying that my kingdom is not of this world. In Matthew eight twenty, Jesus said to his disciples, the foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, he was saying, you're not going to find a bed with my name on it. You're not going to find a room with my name on it. He had no interest in acquiring worldly possessions or building or establishing worldly gain in any way. Matthew 6, 19 and 20, he said it this way. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. See, there's nothing wrong with having or acquiring wealth. That wasn't the point Jesus was making here. But what he was saying, the problem is when they have you, when who you are becomes more about what you have or do apart from who he says you are. See, you can only satisfy your hunger in the moment. But our pursuits are largely about the collection or the sum total of our hungers. What are the things that I'm hungering for? How am I pursuing them? Where are those things leading me? See, oftentimes our pursuits can consume years, if not decades of our life. If you're going to pursue a degree of some kind, man, there's four years. You're going to pursue a position of some kind. You could give a decade of your life to getting to the position you wanted in the company that you desired. Take years to save up X amount of money in the bank. Whatever the pursuit may be, only for you to realize that, man, it has left you feeling empty. So what are you pursuing? Man, don't spend years of your life trying to get hold of something that's going to fade away when you do. Don't spend decades of your life trying to establish your kingdom here on earth that's going to pass away when you do. man. one of the best examples of this for me is my dad. He was always a servant hearted, kind and generous man, Uh, never a man that had very much money. But in the last decade of his life, uh, he had stage four lymphoma. And he also happened to have more money than he knew what to do with. And something about having cancer, he went through chemo and radiation over and over and over, and something about that just exposed how fragile life was. And instead of spending that money to enjoy himself in a season of being retired or do some things he wanted, he was all the more generous. He saw it as a mandate or responsibility on him that if he saw a need that anybody had, friend or stranger, and he had the means to do it, he would step in to meet it. We're continuing to like hear stories of ways that he cared for and blessed people that we had never heard before. And recently we heard another one. Some friends of ours years ago were in a really tough spot financially. I mean, one of those like, we don't have money to get groceries, gas, pay the bills. What do we do? God help us. Dad heard that they were in a tough spot and they hear a knock on the door. Dad had an envelope for him and he leaves. There's a letter inside along with a check for $1,000. And it was one of those like, game-changing gifts for them, like really just touch their heart. And so, so moved them that they vowed like, okay, God, if we ever have means, we want to be the family that gives the game-changing thousand dollars to the person in need. Well, this year, our oldest daughter, Anna Jay, is going to be graduating and going to college. And so she's been all excited as the parent. I've been like, dear Lord, please help thine child get a scholarship. <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> Well, you provide for the, you know, like I got a clue how we're going to do this. And so Anna Jay gets a letter in the mail with this story about how my dad showed up for this couple. And they said, hey, as you start this journey, we know you're praying through scholarships. We want to give you a gift of $1,000 just believing it's going to bring about breakthrough and be the game changing provision for you. I'm telling you, man, the, the pursuits my dad chose to live out. Having cancer seemed to change, change his pursuits. And I think often like, man, we don't have to have a diagnosis to change our pursuits. I can decide that I want to live different today, because here's what I know. So many of my hungers are about me. And consequently, my pursuits become about me. But my dad's generosity, man, it it left a legacy and modeled a lifestyle for me that is far greater than any dollar he could have left that I could have spent in his name. It's changed me it's changed this couple. And when we get a vision about laying down our lives and living them for others, not only do we experience the fullness of life that he came to offer, but we get to be used by God every single day in helping establish his kingdom in the lives of others. So number 1, at the manger, I can find satisfaction for my hunger. Number 2, I can find perspective for my pursuits. Number 3, I can find rest for my weariness rest from our weary. How many of you know there's a big difference between being tired and being weary? Being tired is defined as the need of sleep or rest. Being weary is defined as being reluctant to see or experience any more of something. Men, are there any areas of your life you're finding yourself weary? If ever there's been a time to experience it, it's now of division, of politics, of COVID, of protocols, of health issues, relationships, relationships drama, so many different things that we could find ourselves weary of. I want you to imagine with me the the imagery that I just can't shake in my head is this picture of baby Jesus laying in a manger, right? Amidst the smell and mess. I had never seen a tidy manger, right? A neat manger. But the only other detail in all three of those passages that list the word manger is that they would find Jesus laying in it. And the imagery is so sweet for us because his birth wasn't reserved for the tidy, for the neat, for the organized, right? But for the humble and lowly of heart there, we found Jesus lying peacefully among the mess. I think about him being on the boat with the disciples amidst the storm, taking a nap. They're freaking out about everything going on around him. And he gets up to rebuke the wind and rebuke the waves. I don't know what areas of your life you might find yourself weary today, what areas you might find yourself discouraged. But we need to remember that King Jesus was laying amongst the mess, being the Prince of Peace. And in the same way, in the mess and chaos of our lives, he can establish that as well. In Matthew 11, 25 through 29, he would make that clear later in his ministry. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It was a message in the manger without words that would later become the anthem of his ministry. Jesus was constantly connecting dots between how he started and who he was. We have an opportunity to take a step towards the manger every single weekend, towards the one place, towards the one person that can truly satisfy When we go to receive the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, he would say it this way, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and what he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. See, every weekend as we receive communion, we have an opportunity to step towards the manger. To remember the one who can satisfy our hunger, who gives perspective in our pursuits, and who does the third thing that I can't remember the language of the point. Rest for the weary. There you go. <laughs> Rest for the weary. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I went to Mepkin Abbey, which is a monastery out near Goose Creek. And uh, each year they have a, a series of nativities set up, 95 this year from all over the world, from Uganda to India to Goose Creek and everywhere in between. And each of the nativities reflect the culture that they came from in terms of clothing that people wear and uh, different components of what the manger might, might have looked like. But the one thing they all share in common is that all eyes are fixed on the baby and the manger. And this year, as we walked through it, you vote on your favorite one and tell the people. And the last one is outside. And so I walked out towards it, and it was a more true to scale uh, biblical manger, large chunk of wood honed out in the middle. And so took a picture of it, and I was surprised as I walked towards it to see when I got there and looked down that there was a mirror inside of it. And up to this point, I've always seen the manger, this trough as just a detail in the narrative of the story, right? But I've never seen myself in it, or more importantly, I've never seen the symbolism of who Jesus was and what he represented laying in it. But it was as if in the same way that Jesus connected the dots between his manger and ministry, that he pulled that thread to also connect me. His manger, his ministry, and me. His manger, his ministry, and me. And in the same way, he came to satisfy hunger and give perspective through our pursuits to give rest, in the same way all of that was modeled as a baby, in the same way that he declared it all so clearly in his ministry, that promise is available for me today. That promise is available for you. Man, the feelings might be far off. There may be places of your life that seem broken and busted. But man, if we will consider the baby in the manger, the promise is for us to experience, for us to step into today. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this season. And I'm just so grateful for the collective focus and the same way we see in all of the nativity, nativities, the focus on the baby, the focus on the manger. And I just pray for each of us today. God, you know where our hearts are at. You know, the deep needs within us, you know, the emptiness of, of hungers or pursuits we might be giving ourselves to. But God, I just pray today that your, your promises would be. Uh, grasped by each of us. That they would be made real that we might experience the peace, the joy, the hope of Christmas. Might we encounter you in Jesus name. Amen. Well, hey, if you're new here to Seacoast, this is my favorite part of every service. And man, you are in for a treat. You really are. I want to invite you just to stay in your seats for a moment and let what you're about to experience just kind of wash over you. But I want to invite you to consider two questions. God, what are you saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? And maybe for some of you, it's about the the hungers within you. Maybe you're not feeling satisfied. Maybe you've been going after some things other than him or some things that before were above him. You could go to a cross, write those things on a sheet of paper and say, God, I just wanted to acknowledge that these things are, are not satisfying me. I want to turn to you. Would you satisfy me this Christmas? Maybe for others, it's about your pursuits, behaviors, things you've been going after for a while that you want to acknowledge empty, You could go and light a candle. Say, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, empower me to pursue you day after day, moment after moment, that I might walk with you. There's some that might be feeling weary today and like, God, what I experience, what I taste some rest this Christmas season. You can come and receive prayer from our prayer team. They would love to pray over you. After we've had some time to respond personally, we'll sing and celebrate an awesome God and give of our offerings generously. So what's he saying to you? What are you gonna do about it? Let's respond together.